Welcome to Back from the Abyss. I'm Dr. Craig Heacock. Today's episode is based on a talk I recently gave at Colorado State University. I thought maybe I'd flesh it out, um, work on it a little more, and then present it to all of you. And this is Why Psychiatric Illness Strikes Young. There's so many surprises in med school. And maybe the biggest surprise, doctors take care of sick people, and often very, very sick people. This hits a lot of third-year med students like a ton of bricks, and they quickly plot their way toward a specialty where they won't have to take care of a bunch of sick and dying people, you know, to one of the less messy, less deathly, less overwhelming specialties. Another big surprise for many med students, doctors mostly take care of older people, like me, (laughs) and even older. Go figure. It shouldn't actually be that big of a surprise, though. Our bodies are remarkably, even shockingly, resilient to use and abuse and disease and injury. And it typically takes a long time, decades, before most organs and body systems begin to fall apart. But a very different reality exists in psychiatry. The mind, the psyche, they most commonly fall apart during adolescence and the emergence into adulthood between the mid-teens, early 20s. Why does almost all severe psychiatric illness, including first episodes of psychosis and mania and disabling depression, why do they all appear so young during this relatively small window of time? Here are six major reasons why psychiatric illness strikes down emerging adults in the prime of their lives. Three are psychosocial, Three are genetic slash biological. And this strikes me as an interesting split because the studies of identical twins separated at birth indicate that for most primary psychiatric illness, including unipolar and bipolar depression, schizophrenia, schizoaffective disorder, psychiatric illnesses are typically about 50-50, 50% genetic and 50% environmental slash psychosocial. So, what are the genetic and environmental factors that are manifesting during adolescence and emerging adulthood that are triggering psychiatric illness? First, three psychosocial factors. Number one, leaving the tribe. We are by nature tribal social primates. We exist, we thrive in community and relationship. And for most of human history, most everywhere in the world, We lived in proximity, in extended tribal family clans. But in modern-day America, we have this deep-set cultural expectation that our young will venture out and leave the nest somewhere around age 18 or so. And we expect them to somehow find and or create their own new tribe, community, and support system. And this is a great historical, cultural, and evolutionary anomaly For tens of thousands of years, leaving the tribe or banishment from the tribe, that meant death. Why is our worst punishment solitary confinement? Because for a social tribal primate, being alone can feel like the deepest existential torture. Sometime after age 18, we expect our young to go to college or join the military or move out and get a job to do something, preferably away. We even have a name for this dreaded phenomenon when our young can't or won't leave home, 
and create their own new tribe, and we call it failure to launch. Yet leaving the tribe during emerging adulthood is a risky move, which might well result in isolation, disconnection, demoralization, all of which are major fuel on the smoldering sparks of psychiatric illness. Number two, contagion and heightened peer influence. The number one influence on adolescents, surprise, surprise, is other adolescents. Part of their developmental trajectory is to become increasingly concerned with what their peers are doing and saying and believing. Healthy behaviors and beliefs can be contagious in certain groups of adolescents, but in other groups, unhealthy contagion can be disordered eating, self-harm, hopelessness, nihilism, even suicidal thoughts and plans. It may seem strange to ponder, but many psychiatric symptoms and even illnesses are contagious, particularly among teens and emerging adults. Way back in the 80s, when I was in college, this contagion didn't really happen until we left home. Without the internet or cell phones, we lived a much more siloed existence in our parents' homes. I didn't know anyone in my high school who had an eating disorder or who self-harmed or who was suicidal. But when I got to college, everything changed. I remember my girlfriend telling me once about how many women she had seen vomiting in the bathrooms. And then I also began to hear about other students who were thinking of leaving school because of depression and despair. And I remember thinking, why are people falling apart here in college in ways that I just didn't see during high school? And how could so many women in one dorm all be making themselves throw up? What was happening? Why were people struggling so much? And what was going on? And now with social media, this psychiatric contagion has started much earlier, often deeply affecting young adolescents long before their expected launch date of age 18, leaving them battered and vulnerable at their most critical juncture. Number three, the early life existential crisis. We have this shared social delusion that young people are somehow supposed to come to a point in their lives where they figure out what they're going to do with their lives, where they'll find their path, their purpose. But up until the end of high school, you're essentially on this conveyor belt. There's no real decisions to make. And then, bam, you got to find a major, get an apprenticeship, enlist in the service, find your people, find your path, your meaning, create your life. This pervasive belief puts a terrible and impossible psychological burden on young people. Thinking that there is a specific quote-unquote right path out there waiting for us to discover, it's of a piece with the destructive belief that we all have this soulmate out there waiting for us to find them. Because the reality is there are countless possible paths, countless possible mates, all with their own pluses and minuses. We don't need to choose the right path. We need to choose a path. And then we can diverge and choose a different path, and so on. Yet so many young people are waiting and waiting and waiting for some kind of inspiration. And when it almost certainly doesn't come, they feel lost. They feel like they've failed life before they've even really started it.
and now three biological slash developmental factors. Number one, developmental brain changes, including sex hormones, increased risk-taking and pleasure-seeking, and waning of brain plasticity. At least three major developmental processes are taking place in the adolescent brain, all of which can contribute to the expression of psychiatric illness. The first involves the mounting influence of sex hormones. Now, we know that clinically significant anxiety and depression is about twice as common in women as men, and this is largely due to the influence of sex hormones. Each major hormonal change in a woman's life corresponds with greatly elevated risk of psychiatric symptoms, from onset of menses to pregnancy to postpartum to the onset of menopause. The onset of menses in early adolescence can mark the beginning of increasingly severe psychiatric symptoms. Estrogen and progesterone have complicated and wide-ranging effects on the adolescent female brain, including the possible triggering of latent genetic predisposition toward various psychiatric illnesses. Another influential brain change is that of increased risk-taking and pleasure-seeking. The dopamine circuitry in the adolescent and emerging adult brain become highly sensitized to reward, putting teens at higher risk of substance use and abuse, risky sexual behaviors, and overall, less awareness of self-care and protection. A third critical brain change is the drastic decrease in neuroplasticity that occurs in mid to late adolescence. Prior to mid-adolescence, the brain is astoundingly plastic and adaptable, allowing children and young adolescents to learn a vast array of things from juggling to piano to languages with much, much less effort than adults. The closing of the plasticity window is marked by a vast pruning of the nerve synapses. In mid to late adolescence, the immune system marks little-use synapses all over the brain for elimination, thus allowing the maturing brain to focus resources on the pathways that have proven most used and relevant. However, sometimes this targeted synaptic pruning goes haywire, and the immune system marks far too many synapses for elimination. This then results in wide-ranging brain damage and the destruction of many critical circuits, leading to cognitive, mood, and anxiety symptoms, and the critical substrate for the most devastating psychiatric illnesses, including schizophrenia and schizoaffective disorder. Number two, sleep deprivation and sleep cycle derangement. Sleep is the best mood stabilizer. Sleep is the foundation of mental and emotional health. Much of psychiatric illness is intimately linked to sleep deficits and or changes in sleep architecture. For most of adolescents, there's at least some accountability and predictability in terms of sleep. Middle school and high school starts 7.30, in the morning, five days a week. And this fact strongly encourages adolescents to go to bed at least some not terribly unreasonable hour. But then high school ends, the accountability's over. And for many adolescents, whether they leave home or not, they start drifting into a delayed sleep schedule, going to bed later and later, and sleeping later and later. This throws off their circadian rhythms and hormone cycles and can be a powerful biological trigger for the expression of unipolar and bipolar mood disorders. A central reason why kids fall apart during their first year of college or even their first year after high school is that they start becoming nocturnal. And this can be psychiatrically devastating. Without the mood stabilization and resilience reestablishing qualities of nighttime sleep, 
any predisposition towards psychiatric illness is much, much more likely to emerge. Number three, substance use. The adolescent brain's tendency towards risk-taking and pleasure-seeking often leads to substance use and abuse. Unfortunately, the first drug that adolescents typically use, other than alcohol, is cannabis or THC. Now, I did a whole episode on THC and its unique propensity to trigger severe psychiatric illness, so if you haven't yet listened to Psychedelics, Psychosis, and Risk Reduction, check that out. In brief, about 3.5% of the general population is genetically very vulnerable to the mania and psychosis-inducing properties of THC. And today's high-octane weed and pure THC preparations are not only commonly launching young people into mania and psychosis. These THC-triggered episodes are often converting to lifelong schizophrenia, schizoaffective disorder, and bipolar 1 diagnoses. A colleague of mine, Andrew Penn at UCSF, he joked with me once that we should start a nationwide PSA campaign called Wait to Bake. And I actually think he's on to something critical. Because THC can definitely trigger mania and psychotic episodes in older adults, but it doesn't have nearly the risk of catalyzing a latent schizophrenia or other catastrophic psychotic illness. Along with weed, alcohol can play a huge role in the expression of psychiatric illness in emerging adults. Alcohol can cause or worsen depressive and vegetative symptoms. It can cause or exacerbate anxiety. It wrecks deep restorative sleep. And as alcohol use increases, it tends to wreck relationships, destroy meaning and purpose, and lead to guilt and shame and even existential despair. To summarize, these six factors don't necessarily represent an exhaustive list of reasons for the early onset of psychiatric illness, but I do think they get to the heart of what's going on. So what do we do to decrease the possibility that a genetic vulnerability towards psychiatric illness will be expressed during adolescence and emerging adulthood? Well, first and foremost, sleep. And do your sleeping at night like the diurnal mammal that you are. And wait to bake. The longer you wait to use THC, the lower your risk of tipping into lifelong psychiatric illness. Build and maintain relationships, treasure your healthier friends, and maybe distance yourself from your less healthy friends. Avoid social media with toxic messaging. And as you think about your path and purpose, ask yourself, what seems interesting? What can I do for others? How can I help? Rather than what do I want or what's my passion? And finally, as Sam Harris has so widely said, all we have is our attention. At the core, it's our most precious thing we can control. Yet we give it away mindlessly every day to our own detriment. Our attention is the primary driver of our thoughts, thus our feelings and emotions. We can help keep our psyche in better working order by being ruthlessly mindful of where we put our attention. I hope this was helpful. We'll be back in two weeks. And if you want to give Chris and me a holiday gift, why not write us a review on your favorite podcast platform? Also, you can reach out to us, as always, through my website, craigheacockmd.com. We love to hear your thoughts and comments. See you soon.